All right, you can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 11. We're going to continue our study this morning, finishing up with this chapter. You remember that uh, last week we talked about this as kind of a milestone because it was the uh, point that uh, really chapter 11 is the halfway point through uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, we're halfway through there as we close this out today. Let's pray again, um, ask God's blessing, and then we'll, we'll just get into the word. Father, we thank you once again for this, this time. Father, we pray that you would grab our attention by your spirit this morning, that our devotion to you would be undivided, that we would not be thinking about the things that are surrounding us at this particular moment, that we would be focused on your holy word. God, that you may speak to us through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we would walk away being blessed, having been in your presence. We pray, God, that you would be glorified in all of our lives, for those who are in attendance today, for those who are listening today. We give you the praise and we give you the glory in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 11, verses 14 through 19 is where we will take our text this morning. Let me just read that, and, and the reason I have thrown 14 in with that is uh, because we closed off uh, last week, and I, and I kind of left that off, it says the second woe is past, and this third woe is coming. You remember that these are the, the last three uh, trumpets that had sounded this is going to be the last one, the last woe, and these woes were describing something horrendous there. Let's just pick up and read our scripture, and then we'll begin to go back and talk about some of these things. Verse 14, the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of the world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets and to the saints. And to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, you know, opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark, his testament, and there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hell. Well, as we open up this morning and, and begin to talk about this last portion out of chapter 11, our text leads us to the seventh sounding of the trumpet. And this is very significant in the following ways. It sets in motion the final events that the lead to the return of the Lord to establish his earthly kingdom. And we've been looking at that right from the beginning with the first seal until this point. But now we're down to that last that last trumpet being blown, right? And this is the trumpet that sounds, that leads to the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in the rapture, 
but of the Lord Jesus Christ to return to the earth and to rule and to reign and establish his earthly kingdom. We also know that out of that seventh trumpet come seven bold judgments. And these seven bold judgments come in a very rapid succession, and it is the pouring out of God's final wrath on the earth. As a matter of fact, let me just turn over and read to you chapter 15 and verse 1, and we know that this is the final wrath because it tells us here, and it says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Folks, I tell you, if you just think about that statement, that God's wrath is filled up in that. It, it, it is the picture of his absolutely all-consuming anger and overflowing outburst of his wrath. And it's coming in this last trumpet with these last plagues or bowls of judgment. The seventh trumpet announces the consuming judgment of the unbeliever, much worse than has already been seen. That's a, that, to me, is an amazing thing, too, that we look at, at what God has already done in his judgment and the consuming uh, power that he has as he judges the earth, and it says, yet this is going to be the all-consuming judgment that he brings on the unbeliever. It also announces the coronation. I love it because we have a balance. We have the, the absolute consuming of the unbeliever, but we also have the sounding of the trumpet which signals the coronation of the Lord Jesus Christ as king. You see, trumpets in the Bible were used to announce a new king. If we were to look at 2 Samuel chapter 5 and, and verse 10, and, and then you know, uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 39, 2 Kings 9 and 13 and chapter 11 and verses 12 and 14. All of these are, are, are a, a picture of when a new king was to be announced, they would blow the trumpet. And the people would usually respond, long live the king, or the king has been coronated, or there is a new king. All of those Bible references were referring to when Absalom was was made king, the trumpet sounded. When uh, Solomon was made king, the trumpet sounded. When Jehu was made king, the Bible sounded. When Joash was made, uh, made king, the trumpet sounded. So each time that there was a, the sounding of the trumpet, the blowing of the trumpet, it was a signal that the king had been coronated, that the king, a new king, had been put in place. And folks, that is exactly what we have a picture here in verse 15, that when this trumpet sounds, it is sounding that King Jesus is coming to take his rightful place. Now, we're going to be in heaven. We're going to hear that. We're going to hear that trumpet sound, and we know then that our Lord is fixing to take possession of what is rightfully his. We will see the seventh trumpet when it sounds in this chapter. It, it, it is setting in stage the things that are about to take place. However, its full description of what's going to happen is not going to happen until chapter 15. All right? So we'll cover this morning talking about kind of the, the one over the world of what the blowing of the trumpet means. But we won't get down until chapter 15 to start to see these judgments take place. And so we're going to have from chapters 12 through verse, or chapters 14, what we're going to have there is going to take us back 
through the tribulation, but not from God's perspective. Rather, it's going to take us back from Satan's perspective. And we're going to be able to see what Satan is doing and what Satan is seeing during that time frame from the first seal to this point that we're at right now. Until now, we've seen it God's perspective. For instance, chapters 4 through 11 have dealt with Christ taking back what is rightfully his in the form of judgment. But chapters 12 through 14 are going to deal with that ultimate um, rebel, the Antichrist, and his rule and his really span of terror go from the first seal that is broken to the point we're at right now. But once this trumpet is sounded, it's close. When this final trumpet is sounded, it is close. I mean, uh, don't know exactly. It could be weeks, it could be months, but it's going to be very, very quick in what transpires. Well, let me give you our, our main points this morning. First of all, we have the announcement. Then we're going to have the adoration. Then we're going to have the anger. And finally, we'll have the altar. So we have the announcement, the adoration, the anger, and the altar. And let's just begin in verse 15. Let me get a sip of water. If you look at verse 15 with me, it says this, And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we see this, that as soon as the trumpet sounds that there is an immediate, then this is the announcement. The announcement is this, there is an immediate response to the sounding of that seventh trumpet, and it is a response of great excitement. Now, I just got to tell you this morning, as I look across the crowd out here, I think most of y'all must have felt like, or feel this morning like I felt when I woke up. Uh, it, and as, as President Trump one time said about Jeb, you're very low energy, Jeb. Uh, it appears to me that we have very low energy here this morning. Uh, but I want you to know this morning that as we look at the scripture here, when that trumpet is sounded, there is an excitement in heaven that it says there are many voices that begin to just come out and announce something, uh, make a proclamation or announcement that is going to transpire. And what the announcement is concerning that, when that trumpet sounds, is that they, they make this announcement that the kingdom of the world belongs to the Lord. Amen. You know, some, it, 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 that, that is going to be an exciting time for us. Think of the saints that have been there for years and years and years. Think about that as you're sitting there, whether we're caught up in the rapture or, or you're transported there via death, you're going to be there in heaven with the Lord as a believer, and you're waiting, you're anticipating when the seventh trumpet comes. And when that trumpet sounds, you are going to be one of the voices that cries out with the announcement saying, the kingdom of the Lord has come. That is something for us to look forward to. We look around us right now and we understand that the kingdom of the Lord is not right now, but the kingdom of the Lord is coming. As a matter of fact, if we say and look at this and say, well, it, it, it's coming, well, who does it belong to now? Who does the kingdom belong to? The kingdoms of the world. Who does this kingdom of the world belong to right now? Well, let me tell you who it belongs to. It belongs to Satan. And you say, well, wait a minute, God's in control. Yes, God is in control. But all the way back from the very beginning, when, when the devil 
Lucifer, rebelled against the Lord, he was sent out of heaven, lost his position, lost his ministry, and he started a war on earth, and it began with Adam and Eve. And ever since that man has rebelled along with the devil, this world has belonged to him. You say, don't think so? Take a look around us. Take a look around. I think that if, if we had the veil pulled back for the things that are going on in this world that we are not aware of, we would be so sick and so afraid. Thank God that he veils us from some of the things that are going on. But when we look at this, just understanding that the world belongs to him, it, it has belonged to him. In fact, the Lord makes it clear in several passages of Scripture that Satan is the ruler of this world. As a matter of fact, let me just turn over to John chapter um, John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 31 tells us this, Jesus speaking. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world is cast out. Jesus calls him the prince of this world, not only there, but in chapter 14 and verse 30. The Lord says this, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Uh, chapter 16 and verse 11. Of judgment because of the prince of this world is to be judged. So what I want to get across to us this morning, folks, is, is that there's coming a time when the seventh trumpet is sounded that the we, we the, those redeemed in heaven are going to be crying out saying, the kingdom of Christ has come. In other words, he is coming back to take away what the devil had usurped, what he had stolen, what he had, when he rebelled, he had taken. You see, there is a point you remember, as a matter of fact, it, you, can, you can just mark in your Bibles in Luke, but I want to take us there and read this to you. Luke chapter 5, or pardon me, chapter 4, verses uh, 5 through 8. You see, Satan knew that he was in charge of the earth, and when the Lord Jesus Christ came down to the earth, he tempted our Lord, and he tried to get him to take the kingdom then. And in Luke chapter 4, we find in verse 5, it says, Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called uh, Sinkar, near uh, to the parcel of... Oh, man, I'm sorry, that was chapter 3. Uh, 4 and 5. No, I, I am. I'm sorry, I've got the scripture wrong, guys. Anyway, let me, let me just give you the, the story behind it. You'll remember it. You'll know it. It's when the Lord Jesus Christ is being tempted. He says, if you will simply bow down and worship me, I will give you all of these kingdoms. And the Lord Jesus Christ did not take it, right? Because it wasn't his time. You see, he is not in the deal-making business with Satan. He is not going to say, listen, I am the creator, you are the creation, and the creator is not going to worship the creation. And he says, there's going to come a time, but it's not going to be on your time, and it's not going to be on your terms. So what we have happening here now in heaven is that we have the trumpet sounding, and we have the Lord Jesus Christ he is being declared saying, now is the time that he is going to take the kingdoms of the world back. Again, all we have to do is look around us and see 
that this world belongs to him at the, at the moment. The airwaves are controlled by him. Governments are controlled by him. Policies are controlled by him. Yes, we have little pockets here and there to where we have godliness, but overall, the policies of this world are controlled by Satan. Let me just bring this into perspective for this day. Do you think the things that are going on in, the, in this nation are just by, are in this world, are just by happenstance? I will tell you folks, I am convinced with all of my heart what we're seeing is nothing more than the doctrines of demons being played out in government. When, let me just back up on this a little bit more and encourage you in heart a little bit. When we have, when we have government that is, that is saying, and I'm talking in particular, more in particular about local governments, state governments, that are saying that you are protected from a virus if you go and protest, but you're not protected from a virus if you come to sing in church. Folks, that, that is demonic-backed information. It's demonic. And God's people have just been rocked to sleep in this. Again, I say that everybody thinks that they're, they're in danger of getting the virus at church, but they're not in danger of getting the virus anywhere else they go. Listen, the Bible tells us that we're not to live in fear. Amen? Amen. And yet we have a nation cowering in fear. That is because the prince of this world is in charge right now. God's people need to wake up. Need to wake up, and I think they are starting to wake up. I pray they are. I pray that we have a revival that breaks out. Well, so you have Jesus now coming back who is going to take authority, and he is going to rule in his rightful place as the owner and the sovereign king of the world, according to verse 15. So let's go back to our scriptures in Revelation. Not only that, the kingdom, the world kingdom versus the kingdom, he says that all the kingdoms really are under one kingdom. They're all under one king. Again, now this king is Satan. He is the prince of the air. He is the prince of this world. But the announcement that makes clear that the ownership has now changed and backed under the authority of the rule and his rightful king, sovereign King Jesus. The kingdom has come, describes a future event that is so certain as it has already taken place. So when this trumpet sounds and when this proclamation or the announcement is made as the kingdom of God, the kingdom has come to the Lord, it is so certain that they're announcing that it has already taken place. Now, it hadn't completely taken place, but it is absolutely so certain that they are saying it has taken place. But not only that, I want you to also to notice the adoration of what we see in the text. And we find that in verse 16 and 17. And the adoration is this, and it says, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats and fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art, wast, and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. 
we see here just an adoration that breaks out from the announcement that is made. And in particular, it says the 24 elders, elders are immediately moved to fall on their face and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this is going to be an event. And, and let me just ask you to remember, who are the 24 elders? Who does that represent? It rep exactly, it represents the church. The 24 elders in heaven represent the church. The church is in place there. I had somebody ask me this week and saying, do you think that we're going to be here uh, through the tribulation as God's people? And I said, absolutely not. We're not going to be here. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he has not appointed us unto wrath. If we look at verses one, or chapters 1 through 3, and it is dealing with the church. Once you get past chapter 3, the only time you see the church in Revelation is in heaven. We are going to be with him in heaven. Well, that's where, where we're going to be when all of this is taking place. And the church, when they hear this and, and proclaiming that the kingdom has come back to the Lord Jesus Christ, they are moved in adoration for him. They fall down before him and they begin to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's something that you and I have prayed for. And if you haven't prayed for it, you need to repent and start praying for it. That the Lord Jesus Christ would rule and reign. Let me just ask you something this morning. Do you, I, I hope we're in a point in our lives, and especially the way things are going in our world, that we are longing for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I run into Christians who, who don't long for that. Who, who, who say, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I want the Lord to come back. You know why? Because they're not ready. Their hearts are not ready. And the answer to that is a repentant heart. Listen, the thing that we should long for more than anything else is for the Lord Jesus to return and take his rightful place to where he would receive the glory that he and he alone rightly deserves. And if we're not in that place, that is a place that we need to get. And can I tell you, that is what we're calling for. That is why we're praying and say, God, give us a heart of repentance. Give us a heart that we want to be kingdom citizens. Give us a heart that we want to follow your teaching, that we want purity, that we want holiness. And if we don't want that, then there's something desperately, wickedly wrong. It is not about what Jesus can do for you. It is about you and me serving him with purity and holiness and, and pursuing him with a passion. That's what the psalmist said, wasn't it? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for thee. The problem is, is too many Christians are not worried again about having a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. They are worried about what God can do for them in this world. Now there will be a day for Christians when we look at this and we break out in adoration and love for him because we say, finally, your kingdom has come. Isn't that what he taught us to pray? He says, when you pray, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now that will is not going to be done in completeness until he comes back and he takes charge on this earth. But these elders focus on those things. Here's what they focus on in their adoration of him. They focus on this fact. They focus on his, that he is the almighty. Look at what it says there. It says that they, uh, the four and twenty elders fell on their faces. And then they begin saying in verse 17, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty. Let me just pause on Almighty. When we talk about the Almighty, this name declares that the Lord is sovereign, 
in his power and that his power is absolutely irresistible. You see, there's not a person that is sitting here that can stand against God. There is not a demonic force that can stand against God. There is not a governmental force that can stand against God. You see, you got governors sitting there saying that they think they can declare that you can't come and worship God. I'm going to tell you what, you cannot stop the church from worshiping God. And if it means that the church goes underground to do it, then the church goes underground. I've said, you know, I've changed my whole way of thinking about this coronavirus. I began to thank God and say, God, thank you for the virus because it is shaking your people up. And it is showing the world who are the true believers and who are the false believers. It is showing people who's afraid of the government and who's afraid of God. And folks, I'm telling you, there may be a cost to all this for God's people. The question is, are you going to be willing to pay the cost? It's been easy for years and years and years in America to say, oh man, oh how I love Jesus as long as the air conditioning's working, as long as everything is fine, as long as everything goes the way I think God ought to be. But when God brings tragedy into our lives, when he brings things that upset our apple cart, and we have a hard time getting God's people to meet together. Well, we can't do that. Now, I'm thankful for all of you here. Please understand, I'm, 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 ta- I'm not talking to you. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I'm not in here, got a staff whooping on people. What I'm talking about is there's a world, there is a lot of God's people that are taking advantage of the situation and setting in their homes. How do I know that? Because I see God's people out everywhere else in town. But give the slightest reason why you can't come and worship the living God with his people and trust that God will take care of you. But that you're fine to go out to eat. You're fine to go shop. You're fine to go anywhere else other than the house of God to come and worship. God forgive us. You see, they fall and they say his power is absolutely irresistible. Nothing or no one can stand against his plan or purpose. The world has dug its heels in. They are trying their best. Listen, you don't think Satan knows that his time is coming. He knows his time is coming, and he is beginning to fight hard to destroy everything he can that God says he loves. won't stand his power is irresistible he says that he is and he was and he is to come this focuses on and expresses god's eternal nature and existence isn't that good to know isn't it good to know that you serve the god who was and who is and is to come you see there is no there is no beginning or end for god and we're part of that we're going to be in his presence for that Further, the church begins to, to cry out and to praise him and ad, uh, give him adoration because he has taken great power and he now begins to reign. It says, you have taken. That means it implies the permanence of his sovereign rule. Now, that, that's, a, that's a hard thing for us to grab a hold of at times. Is that there's coming a day, saints, to where there will be no sin. 
There will be no sorrow. There will be no separation by death. That day is coming. And that is going to happen when he takes the permanence of his, of his reign. Now, there's a thousand years involved in that as well, and we'll talk more about that in days to come. But I want you to see not only the announcement and the adoration, but I also want you to see the, the uh, anger. Look at verse 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Isn't it amazing that in heaven people are announcing and they're adoring, they're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. But when the world understands that this final trumpet is blowing, their response and their immediate response is anger. Not repentance, not shame, but anger. The Bible says that they are angry. Verse 18, and the nations were angry. It is amazing that those of Christ, again, that he comes to rule, are angry. They don't want his rule. Can I, can I tell you that this, that's nothing new? That in times, the, the, the tribulation just brings it all and magnifies it out. And you say, here's the thing, folks. The majority of humanity does not want Christ to reign. Period. They don't want him to reign their life. Now, the danger is, is God's people getting into that same mindset and saying, Lord, you're welcome to all of these areas in my life, but not this area. And when Christ tries to rule in that area, we become angry and resistant to what he is doing. We don't want to be like the world and be angry over the sovereign rule of God. We want to rejoice and adore him in his rule. Amen? Amen. But the world says, no, they're angry. As a matter of fact, the term there means to be enraged. Enraged. I mean, they're just enraged over the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back to reign. And to let us know that they understand that he is coming to reign, they, they are so enraged and their rage is so consuming that they are going to gather the armies to fight against Christ in Armageddon. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an amazing thought that, that they're going to recognize that? We know already going back from the scripture that they realize that it's saying we are under the wrath of the Lamb. Hide us from the wrath of God and the Lamb. And now their fear has turned to anger and to rage. And they say, no, we will fight him. We are going to fight him, which goes back to our previous point. You see, his sovereign power is irresistible. He is omnipotent. There is nothing that overcome him. How arrogant of mankind to say that we are going to fight the Lord. We're going to gather our puny little armies. The Old Testament talks about this saying, then the nations rage. God sets back, he says, he sets back and laughs at them thinking that they're going to fight against him. We find in Revelation chapter 16, as a matter of fact, let me turn over there and just read a little bit about this coming day, this battle that is going to transpire. Chapter 16, verse 14 says, um, For they are the spirits of devils, 
working miracles which go forth unto kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. That's verse 14. Look at uh, verse 16. And verse 16 says, And he gathered them together in a place called the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Uh, not only there, but let's look at chapter 19 and verses uh, 19 through 21. And it says here that, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. By the way, that's us. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, and wrought miracles that wrought miracles before him, and which he received them, or deceived them, that they received the mark of the beast. And them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of burn, uh, fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which is the sword that proceeds out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Pretty descriptive. So here you have the army saying, we're going to fight against you. We're, we, but now what's happened is these doctrines of demons have deceived them into thinking they actually can win. That mankind actually thinks he can win. You see, that, that's part of the problem even today is that people think somehow they're going to be able to cheat God in death. I'll live the way I want to, and in the end I'll, I'll just figure it out Somehow I'll make it. And God says, no, I sit back and laugh at your thoughts. I'll laugh at your ways. You're not going to resist me. You're not going to outsmart me. You're not going to stand against me. I'll come. And he says, I'll do it with the sword of my mouth, which is the word of God. And he says, he slays the armies. Folks, I don't think that's figurative. I think that happens. And that God will call all the birds of prey together and says, you go and have a great feast on the bodies of my enemies. As a matter of fact, during that, that we'll find later that there's a time frame that, that the Lord has in there that there's a little cleaning up that has to take place. They're angry. But let me tell you about somebody else's anger. Not only are they angry, God's angry. Bible says here that as we looked in this, this verse that his wrath has come. It is using the same way of saying that his wrath is so imminent, absolutely going to take place. It's as if it has already come. When we talk about the word wrath here, it means a violent passion, indignation, vengeance. We're talking about God. God is indignant over men's sin. God is angry over men's sin. God is going to take vengeance on men's sin. Now, the world has one of two choices in this anger and wrath and vengeance. You can either let that vengeance and wrath and anger fall on the Lord Jesus Christ, or you can let that vengeance and anger and uh, indignation fall on you. Which would you rather have? I would much rather that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken my penalty. I would much rather that Jesus Christ has taken my punishment because all of that was poured out on Christ on Calvary. 
And this same anger is going to be poured out on those who come to fight against him. Can you imagine where the Lord Jesus Christ crying out and saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can you imagine puny man when he comes before the God Almighty and he pours out his wrath on him? He says two things are going to happen in his coming wrath. He talks about that he will destroy those who destroy the earth. It's not talking, let, let me, let's make this clear. This is not about Greenpeace. This is not about saving the environment. The ones who destroy the earth are those who come up with the policies that are against God's commands. I, I, again, I go to this whole, the whole BLM movement, and people say, oh, we shouldn't talk about that, Pastor, really? That organization is belched out of hell. Not because it's talking about whose lives matter, but because their policies are an affront to a holy, living God. When you say it's fine to have transgender marriages, gay marriages, tear apart the nuclear family where the father is head, homosexual relationships, and saying these are the things that we stand for. And by the way, can I just be so bold as if I may? That the day of choosing between Democrat and Republican are over. And it's not about politics, it's about the Bible. I sat with a young man and saying, you have to make a decision. Are you going to vote for a group of people who believe in the slaughter of children? unborn children. Are you going to vote for them? Is that what you're going to do? And you say, Pastor, you're being political. Well, then get rid of me. It's high time some men of God stand up and call evil, evil. And I don't want to have that blood on my hands. And I stand as a watchman on the tower saying, be careful where you're at. Or is your allegiance to Jesus Christ or is it to a failed world system? And you say, well, I don't like the guy that's in the office. Well, let me tell you what, he's a whole lot closer in our beliefs than the other guy is. And the other party. And again, if that upsets you, let me just tell you something. I'm really not too concerned about whether it upsets you or not. Because again, I have the responsibility to warn you. Do you want to have blood on your hands by voting for it? Because what you're doing is you, when you vote for that, you're saying, I also agree with killing babies. I also agree with transgenderism. I also agree with uh, homosexual marriage. My goodness, we have pastors that are afraid to say things like that because they're afraid that they're going to be in trouble with the world. Listen, the world is not our friend. We're not, going to, we're not going to make them like us by going along with them. As a matter of fact, they're going to continue to hate them. Didn't Jesus say this? I, listen, understand, they hated me, they're going to hate you. How about God's people stand up and speak the truth? You said a while ago, a pastor with a backbone. I'm praying for God that he would bring up some Christians with a backbone. 
Quit worrying about what the world says and start worrying about what Christ says. Now, I may be a little off-key on my message this morning as are off, off my notes, but I don't think I'm off-key. Well, he's going to judge those. He's going to judge those who destroy the earth, those who have fought against the Lord, rejected and rebelled, those who hate the Lord, those who have perverted his law will be judged and are doomed for an eternal damnation and torment. That's another thing that we don't hear preached about. I want you to know this, that when you die, you are bound for one of two places. You are either bound for eternal felicity with the Lord. In other words, you are bound to be with the Lord in heaven in joy for eternity. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, you are bound to an eternal hell to where you will be tormented for eternity. You will take note that the Lord says that the, the, the beast and the Antichrist are thrown alive into the lake of fire to wait their final doom. The rest are slain and go into, into hell, waiting for their final doom, which will be the eternal lake of fire. The prophets, the saints, those that fear his name can expect reward. The lost fear his wrath the saints fear his name. It's a big difference. There ought to be a fear in, in God's people. He's an awesome and holy God. And I, I just was watching the lightning and thunder this week and a couple of storms, and I thought, that is so minuscule to the power of the Almighty. And what a fearsome thing it must be to see that display in heaven. His glory. But here, his wrath. And finally, we have this, the ark. Verse 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hell. So what's that all about? Seventh trump, trumpet sounds. It signals to the believer that there is going to be unbroken fellowship with God and that it is at hand. We see in the imagery of this verse that God's temple is opened. This is the place where God Almighty dwells. It's going to be where there is open access with the Most High and unimaginable fellowship with the Lord. Folks, I, I just, you know, I love to think about that. That is where you and I are headed. All the things that are going on on this earth right now are so petty and so petty in the United States. I was reading, and, and I'm, I'm going to be descriptive because it's a day to be descriptive so our people understand what is going on, that I was reading this week about the church in India and the persecution that our brothers and sisters are going through in India and how that there has been this movement for almost a year now to where they had taken pastors and cut them in pieces. And this one pastor's wife, she says the memory that she has is seeing pictures of a man that had wrapped her husband's intestines around his neck, dancing, calling out to false gods. 
And we're worried about whether we can wear a mask or not. And those same women are raped because they're Christians. That's the reality of what's going on in the world. And we try to sanitize things in the church and try to make it nice and neat. And God says, there's a price. But there's going to be a day that there's going to be unhindered fellowship with me. Now, I want to tell you that those pastors who were chopped into pieces because they were followers of Christ, when their spirit left their body, they were in the presence of the Almighty. You see, James said it like this, that life is like a vapor. Just a moment. What we're talking about is eternity. And as we look at this altar here, we see that God has opened up this fellowship with him. The ark is in there, and the ark symbolizes that the fullness of God's communion is open. It's here that blood was offered at the, at the base of that altar, is offered to atone for the sins of man as a picture of Christ, that his blood made amends for you and me. And inside that ark, there was a golden jar of manna. And inside of that ark was a bud, uh, the Aaron's staff that had budded. And inside of that ark were the tablets of stone. And folks, what that represents is that God is going to provide with you. He is going to be your staff and he is going to fulfill and he is the law. And we have all that to look forward to. He's made an eternal covenant with us. Describes that here there was lightning and thundering and earthquakes and hell. They all symbolize judgment. All of those. But at the same time, we see his mercy and grace. We see his eternal promises to us. Heaven is both the source of judgment and mercy. Question is, is, where are you at on it? Are you under his mercy? Are you under his judgment? You see, if you're in his mercy, it means you've become a child of God and you're following him. Not perfectly, but you're following him. Amen? Amen. But if you've never come to Christ, you stand already condemned, is what the Bible says. There is no middle ground, there is no gray area. Jesus said this, either you're for me or you're against me. You're either for me or you're against me. It's time for the church to make a decision. You're going to be for him or you're going to be against him? You with him? If you're with him, get all in. If you're with him, live like you, you believe it. You see, God's calling us to that point of saying, we said this years and years, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe, I believe. Well, I'm going to tell you what, church, we're fixing to find out. And, and I'm hoping, you know, people that are look, I'm looking right at the camera, listen to me if you're out there, you better get in. Get both feet in, because we're in for a ride. And it doesn't matter what this election cycle says, it can go one or two ways, but I'm telling you that even after that, 
this isn't over with. Things are changing. We're praying for revival. Oh, God, give us a revival. Not so that we can have America back, so that we can have it easy and we can go to, you know, McDonald's without a mask. We want America to be repentant. We want to see God move and souls come into the kingdom. See families restored. We are living in a wicked generation. 600,000 children go missing every year. I don't even want to go into this morning what's going on there. It's time, church. It's time to take this seriously. Father, we thank you for the day that you have given us. We pray that you're glorified. We look forward to the day that we'll be in heaven and we'll cry out and declare that you are the Almighty, that you were and are and are to come, that you have taken complete and control this earth. We look forward to that day, but God, until that day, we pray you would encourage us in heart, Lord, and by that I mean give your people courage. Help us not to be timid. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Help us to live lives that are worthy of the high calling. Help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of that high calling. Grant us a wisdom, God, that can only come from above. God, grant us a desire for holiness and purity within the body of Christ. Grant us, God, the desire to have repentant hearts. And God, when you show us sin, that we move immediately to seek your forgiveness and to follow hotly after you. God, help us as a people this morning to pant as the deer pants for water. Oh, that our soul would long after you. Father, we pray this morning for our brothers and sisters who are standing in the gap this morning, brothers and sisters who are defying local governments by coming to worship. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a state that has said that we can, but whether the state says we can, we will. We pray for those in California today that are making that stand. God, we pray that you would honor that. Pray that you encourage Pastor uh, MacArthur and the elders at Grace. Bless that community, God. Confound the wicked. Put a fear out there, God. We would pray for the leadership there in that city, in that, that state, the governors. God, give them a fear of you. Help them to see who you are, God, and that they would turn to you in repentance themselves and that you would demonstrate your overwhelming grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.